Good morning, I'm Loring Brinkerhoff, and I'm one of the members of the Mighty Little Abilities and Access Committee here at First Parish. And the person standing here should be Barbara Sacconi, uh, but as you heard, she fell last week and she's in a rehab facility with a broken arm. So I will do my best to just carry the message from our committee. Uh, Barbara's been a fabulous leader for us. Uh, in addition, we have Andrew, Susanna, and Peggy, who have all helped uh, take access to higher ground here at First Parish for individuals with disabilities. Our focus is to change attitudes, broaden perspectives, maybe educate along the way, and um, show how different committees within First Parish can carry the message of access in different ways. So this service was built by the committee, and I hope this message that we're conveying today you'll carry every day when you think about inclusion. What I wanted to do was to read a little part from a book written by Temple Grandin, uh, she's a woman about my age who's a civil engineer and has autism. And her new book is called The Autistic Brain. And I had the honor of hearing her speak about three weeks ago, and I've got an autographed copy, and I'm <laughs> really psyched for that. So I'm going to read a little passage about her autism and particularly how it affects her in terms of her sensitivity to sound and to uh, overstimulation. You know what I hate? The sound of hair dryers in public restrooms. Not so much when the air jet starts, but the moment someone's hands enter that stream. The sudden drop in the register just drives me nuts. It's like when that vacuum toilet on an airplane flushes. I hate that. It's a fingernails on the blackboard type of hate. You know what else I hate about air travel? The alarm that goes off when somebody in the airport accidentally opens a secure door. I hate alarms in general, for that matter. You know, when I was a kid, the school bell made me absolutely crazy. It felt like a dentist's drill. No exaggeration. The sound caused a sensation inside my skull with the same pain as a dentist's drill. By now, you are probably noticed there's a pattern in what I hate. I'm sensitive to sounds loud sounds, sudden sounds, worse yet, loud and sudden sounds, things I don't expect. You know, balloons terrified me when I was a child because I didn't know when they were going to pop. David? Good morning, I'm David Ray. I'm a liaison member of the Abilities and Access Committee, and much of the work in that committee flows over into that other category that I chair as Chair of Buildings and Grounds. 
in the latter committee, most of our work, or most of the stuff that I tend to and track is are structured in terms of projects. So I just thought I would talk about a couple of projects briefly where uh, concern for alternate ways of access and navigation and perception and even thinking have informed and inspired and truly graced the project itself. I hasten to point out that a lot of people are involved and buildings and grounds overlaps, not just access and abilities, but finance and the green team and many other parts of the church, and that's as it should be. Uh, I won't be able to credit everyone. Um, the first project that I want to talk about is as immediate and obvious as the way that you are perceiving my words. And it's really a constellation of things. And like all projects, it has no beginning and no real end. It's a continuum of solutions. And we try and keep it working as well as possible. Some of you are, in fact, close enough to use that original mode of audition that originated around campfires where you were close enough to hear me speaking, my unassisted voice. But the rest of you are all on a spectrum. Uh, as my words project around the first row of pews, an amplification system that we just installed this fall kicks in and it's carefully timed so that the forward wave of my voice meets the amplification of the first tier of speakers and then the second and there's one wave going all the way back to the back of the room. There are actually other spectra we use. There is an induction coil all around the center two banks of pews that is that transforms an electrical signal into an electric wave that's picked up by what we would call true assistive listening devices. Um, there's also a radio frequency version of that. So if people with hearing aids have two options. Finally, there are interpreters in a fourth category who um, help my words, so people who actually watch as I'm speaking. And there's even a fifth category for people who are unable to actually get to church every morning. We podcast not just the sermons, but the entire service. And so if you temporarily or permanently have the disability of not living in Massachusetts, you can actually find, you know, if you search for First Parish podcast, you'll see all of those uh, sermons. The second project really is also immediately present here, and that is the pews, okay? And that was initiated by Jonathan long ago. He's had to wait 12 years for the first set of pews to come out, and then another 12. Uh, and at that rate, if he's still music director in the year 2050, we may have gotten about halfway back to the... Um, but in the process, that project in particular, I think, brought up the old um, 
nostrum and reality that, you know, as they say, for every curb cut in a curb, for every one person who uses that curb cut in a wheelchair, there are three kids on skateboards, a couple of people with um, shopping carts and bicyclists. So there are unforeseen benefits of projects, in this case, removal of pews to allow the piano to get around more easily. Um, we also shortened a couple of pews you can see on either side, and that had the benefit both for people in wheelchairs or with assisted walking devices could park things more readily, but also um, people with strollers found those much more easy to use. The third project hasn't happened yet. And so I'm gonna try and inaugurate it now as I stand here. Um, that's about, I mean, we have a beloved community, but do we have a truly beloved pulpit? I was able to get up here today. I may still be able to get up here in, you know, later decades. But just to plant the seed in your mind, what would it take in a project of comparable scope and complexity and contentiousness as just taking the pews out? What would it take to reshape this pulpit so that everyone could get up and have their say? I'll leave you with that thought in mind and I'll be receptive to any ideas you have going forward. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Sylvia Wheeler, and it's a privilege to be speaking to you this morning about this very important subject and challenge. Uh, Barbara Sacconi, who I'm sorry to hear just today, I didn't realize um, that she had that accident. Um, she invited me to share a few thoughts that started to form when I volunteered to help with the Abilities and Access Service Survey. As a co-leader of the Sustainability Committee, it seemed to me that the accessibility improvements being considered were really all part of our congregation's responsibility to keep our historic building sustainable, not just in the challenges of taking more environmentally conscious actions, like lowering our energy use, reducing and recycling waste, conserving water, and using alternative transportation. All of these important changes will help us to lower our carbon footprint at First Parish. But I realize that being sustainable also has an important human dimension of keeping our building sustainable in terms of usability for everyone who uses it. A long-term long strategy for integrating uh, abilities and access changes was needed, not only for members and visitors who have physical challenges now, but also to keep our building accessible for all of us at all stages of our lives. Providing a safer and more comfortable space goes hand in hand with our overall sustainability commitment. Guaranteeing that Americans have access to public spaces has been recognized as a very high priority since the American, Americans for Dis I'm sorry, the Americans uh, for, with Disabilities Act passed in 1990. And much progress has been made 
As some of you know, my husband Steve and I are passionate about traveling. We want to see as much of the world as possible. We returned recently from a trip several weeks in Europe where I became more aware of the enormous challenges these countries have to improve access to thousands of historic sites built centuries ago, perched on steep hilltops or on scalable cliffs with narrow winding streets that seem more suited to goats than people. In fact, many of these sites were built purposely to keep enemies and the peasantry from gaining entrance. High walls, moats, and hundreds of stairs, they continue to present a daunting obstacle course now for even friendly visitors. By the time we got to Barcelona, our last stop, trouble with a painful foot made me acutely aware of the many obstacles presented for mobility. Barcelona, known today as a model city for innovative design, has made great strides in providing access on speedy transit, a very speedy transit system, and in some steep areas, even providing public elevators that save arduous hill climbs from one part of the city to the other. But public transportation gets you just so far if you want to visit public parks. Visitors <clears throat> must, to get to one particular park called Park Well, visitors must walk 15 minutes from the metro station, up uh, two or three very steep hills, take six much appreciated escalators up to another hill, two huge flights of stairs to entrance where you begin to ascend a very narrow winding path even higher. The, the destination is the original portion designed by the famous architect Antony Gaudi in the 1920s. And I understand he was a very great walker. <laughs> As I caught my breath several times along the way and rested my throbbing foot, I wondered if our book tour was worth the effort, but I was goaded on by the knowledge that in a few years, I may not even be able to do it at all. I now have a fancy and fashionable orthopedic boot that has provided another wake-up call to pay attention to the barriers there are all around us and how critical small improvements are like sturdy railings, ramps, elevators and escalators, secure footing, and ample lighting that help assure safety and increase mobility. Here at First Parish, we've already made progress in improving access, but there are more investments needed to make sure that everyone can visit and fully participate in our community life. As we all get older, these necessities for access will come more clearly into focus. I urge everyone to pay attention now to making our community open to all and sustainable for future generations. Thank you. I'm Mandy Neff, your Director of Religious Education. And I wanted to share with you today a little bit about what we do in our programs with children and youth. In religious education, we see it as our mission to welcome and include children and youth into the congregation. We're especially mindful of the ways that teachers and worship leaders can help children of all abilities participate as fully as possible. Behind the scenes, your RE committee, 
teachers, field ed student, youth coordinator, and I are all making accommodations by adapting the curriculum, talking with teachers and parents and caregivers about special needs, providing one-to-one -one help, and reviewing the materials such as stories, activities, and visuals that we share with children for their breadth of inclusion. We also use a multiple intelligences approach. We know every child has different strengths, and as we heard in the story, different forms of genius. We try to cover many intelligences in each RE group and session. We might have children draw, do movement, sing, smell something, and hear a story about the same topic in a given session to ensure that each child has a way in to learning. Some things that may be more obvious are part of every child's entry into our program when they register. The Abilities and Access Committee developed a questionnaire two years ago that's now part of our registration packet. And it asks, among other things, how does your child learn best? These questionnaires are then shared with teaching volunteers so we can develop strategies and focus on topics that work best for the children and youth in our program. Every child also signs our children's covenant when they register. The covenant helps to build a healthy group learning environment. Because in order to experience a ritual or a service project, or to talk about the ethics of a story. Our children need a structured environment for learning. And part of how we achieve this is through the Children's Covenant, which is a behavior agreement that children make with me and their teaching volunteers based on our seven principles. For instance, the children come to understand that as part of the church community and part of their group, they'll find some activities they love and they'll be asked to stretch to develop the skill of patience during activities that may not be their personal favorites. This year, we've also returned to using a peace corner, which is popular with our elementary age groups. This quiet area has sensory objects, such as kaleidoscopes, soothing glitter bottles, and small stuffed animals to help children settle. Classes also have baskets of silly putty, squeeze balls, and fidget toys for children to use when they're listening to an adult. Current neurological research shows that handwork, or fine motor repetitive motions, help soothe and focus the mind. This new finding helps me and our teachers to know that children whose hands are moving are not distracted from their learning, but rather are engaged and listening, able to absorb information at a different level. My own son read this reflection when I wrote it, and he said to me, thank you for saying that, because my teacher thinks that if I'm not making eye contact with her, that I can't hear her. So in short, in religious education, we adults are always learning and incorporating new techniques and growing to welcome the children and youth who are already in our community and those who might join it.